Welcome to the Monday edition of Unexpected Points. I'm going to talk a lot about 2022 draft macro strategies, what teams should be employing here, and then weaving into that a big discussion about the Eagles Saints trade and what that says about how these teams view that strategy. All that and more on this edition of Unexpected Points. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. I'm back at you. Uh, I realize, and as I mentioned in the intro, that I did not discuss the Eagles Saints trade. There's lots to discuss there. Some of it could qualify as reinforcement. I was I was gonna say repetitive for a second, but no, I'm not gonna say repetitive because you know we always get new angles here on the show. But a reinforcement of a lot of ideas that we know about draft value. But specifics to this trade, digging into what the Saints and the Eagles might think about it, and also hints at a larger macro strategy for this draft that I think the Eagles may be trying to employ, which which I like quite a bit. Uh, now, before I get into anything here, before I get into too much here, got to let you know, right now, PFF, 50% off an elite subscription. So that is our highest tier subscription that has access to... Not only all of the data, all of the article content, all of the biggest tools that we have available on the site. It's everything that's there. The mock draft simulator, the draft guide, the PFF expected fantasy points tool, everything else that's going on there. Get that for the year. Have access to all of that stuff. 50% off right now. The code is draft 50 and that's five zero. So D R A F T five zero 50% off an annual subscription. I also want to mention this Wednesday. So you'll either be listening to this on Monday or Tuesday, or, you know, if you're, if you're a Wednesday listener for a Monday pod, I realize you get a little buried at the beginning of the week. Uh, Wednesday, we are launching our Hutch podcast where the likely number one overall pick not the guaranteed but the likely number one overall pick Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan did a four-part series with primarily with Austin Gale interviewing him here but then also worked with a lot with a lot of our team to get this done a little bit more produced ton of different interviews Jim Harbaugh's in there um, I think there's 50 different interviews with other sorts of big names in the college football realm uh, go ahead and check that out. That will be available on Wednesday. Okay, let's actually, you know what? First off, w- w- what I want to talk about here on a somber note here, of course, uh, I just want to quickly mention, you know, a little RIP here to Dwayne Haskins, uh, tragic incident over the weekend. You know, I'm not a huge college football fan, and I feel like those who probably had a little bit more of a visceral reaction to what had happened. It's going to be mostly based upon uh, having seen him in that one great year that he had with Ohio State. Um, again, I'm not the biggest college football fan, so maybe I didn't have quite as big of a reaction there. But a uh, really tragic incident for a 24-year-old, too. When we saw that come across the board, 24 years old. I mean, we have quarterbacks in this draft who are going to be you know, past their mid-30s, almost 24 years old, like a Kenny Pickett. Uh, when they're starting this season. So still a very, very young guy. And I know there were some unfortunate, to put it the least, 
to put it mildly, comments that went out there, you know, maybe a, another Adam Schefter kind of uh, stepping on his own uh, his own thing there with uh, with his tweet mentioning some some about how he was disappointing a little bit in the pros, and then the Gil Brandt interview, which was you know way way out there. You know, I'm not going to get too much into the dunkathon that goes on to these different things and shameathon that goes on to these different things. Obviously, I think there is some good potentially to the shaming that goes on there if you're preventing this sort of thing from happening more in the future. But at a certain point, I think I think that becomes almost a bigger story. And what you're trying to avoid by shaming these people, you're trying to avoid mentioning you know negative things in the context of someone's death. You're actually bringing more and more attention to that and making that more and more of the story. So, you know, I, I get people sentiment for, for, for wanting to, to, to dunk on those things at the same time, there's probably a bit of moderation that can be used to not make that ended up ending up being the story, but you know, extremely unfortunate incident. So I just want to uh, mention that quickly up top seemed like he was a very beloved player uh, amongst the people that he played with. And I think that also shows in a way that, Maybe the Gil Brands of the world and some others may have had some frustrations with him as far as how his whatever, I don't know if his demeanor, I don't know if it was his work habits, I don't know what it was beyond that, but how that translated to the field and problems with that. You can still be a very beloved person in the locker room and make a huge impact on people's lives that goes beyond football. And that kind of goes back to my point when I was talking initially about some of the Deshaun Watson stuff or even the other things when it comes to player evaluation. You know, the whole winning isn't everything is the only thing. Vince Lombardi, I don't know if that's apocryphal or not, that it's actually Vince Lombardi who said that. But there is something to that, and I think that's what lasts forever as far as in people's per, people's perception on the outside. But on the inside, it's a bunch of human beings working in these organizations. And, you know, what you can get from uh, different people being inside of organizations isn't always going to show up on what, you know, evaluators may think or people that are going to focus strictly on success metrics and things like that may think. And it seems like uh, Dwayne Haskins, you know, changed a lot of people's hearts and minds in that locker room with how well that he connected with everyone there. So RIP again to Dwayne Haskins. Okay, let's get over to the Eagle Saints trade. Now, I did not discuss this last week. I think this might have broken day of or before I taped with Jim Saunas last Wednesday. You guys should check that out anyway if you haven't already because we go through the quarterback class. And I'm going to do something very similar exercise this week with J.J. Zacharyson, the late round quarterback. Uh, you know, he has a fantastic little breakout of his own here going out to his own site. And we are going to discuss wide receivers. Ooh, this could be this could be a long one. Could be a little bit of an intense one. Um, I'm having a bit of uh, I could be like sub podcasting some people on here. You know, sub tweeting. Uh, can you sub podcast people by uh, taking their arguments and uh, talking about how absurd they are uh, when it comes to some different prospects here. Uh, in particular, I want to talk about like wide receiver size is going to be a big thing I'm going to look into with the trend, with the downtrend in the NFL of what's going on with wide receivers. The last four wide receiver classes, first rounders have averaged under 200 pounds, which has happened only a few times, a few years over the last 15 before that. It's on a definitive big down streak and trend. But, you know, I'm seeing, especially when we starting in the second round, but even someone in the first round that so just I'm just not sure it's really justified. For what's going on. So I think it's, I'm going to have to talk about that around the fact that we have a lot of lighter guys here, where there's Jamison Wilson, Olave, uh, Garrett Wilson, 
uh, they say Jameson Williams or Willis Wilson, Jameson Williams and Garrett Wilson, and then Chris Olave and others who are, you know, under that 990 pounds, kind of on the lighter side there, who are all projected to be pretty top, top wide receivers. But anyway, I don't want to preview too much of what I'm going to go into with JJ, but you're not going to want to miss it because we're, I'm really going to nail down some of these wide receivers who I've been studying in, in pretty great detail with their uh, most comparable players. You can see the different pieces that I'm putting out on that. Okay, let's get to Eagles Saints. Did not discuss this. It's a little bit confusing, the parameters, the details here, because the basics of it is they flip around a couple of late round picks where the Saints gained a tiny bit of value, you know, moving up a, a round or something like that in, in a late round thing. But let's not worry too much about that. They, the Saints move up two spots on their first round pick. So again, they're gaining some incremental value there. A couple of spots though, from 18 to 16, all that stuff makes it a little more confusing when you lay it out. So we'll, we'll just set those two little incremental value gains to the side for a second and then talk about the big part, big point here. The big point is they are gaining the Eagles pick number 19. Let's say here they're gaining pick number 19 and what they're giving up in order to get that first round pick. And remember the Eagles have three first round picks and now they'll be down to two first round picks. But in order to get that pick, the 19th first round pick, they are getting, they're giving up a future first round pick next year in 2023, a future second round pick in 2024 and a 2022. So a current late third round pick, the 101. Um, so yeah, the, the third round extends through, yeah, I don't know what extends through now, but with comp picks, it extends through maybe 110 or something like that, maybe even a little bit later. Of course, traditionally, if you say 32 picks, 32 and 32 is 64, another 32 is 96, but the third round in, in actuality extends beyond 96 because of the comp, the compensatory picks that they have piled onto the back of there. So that'll be a late third round pick, but in some ways it's equivalent to an early fourth round pick. Let's talk about value because I mentioned as part of this that future picks are too heavily discounted and some of the pushback, which I think was good. Uh, I didn't respond to it directly because Twitter's a you know god awful platform for going back and forth with arguments sometimes, but I'll, I'll discuss it here. Was that you know well, how do we know that it's overvalued, right? How do we know that the current picks are overvalued versus the future picks? Because unless you assume the pick, there is no discount in the future, then you could say trading away a pick now for a pick that'll happen in a hundred years, those two should be equally valued because there's no discount between the two. And I, I, I like arguing things in extremes like that. So we get an idea of, yeah, there obviously has to be some sort of discount. So how do we figure out what the, what the discount is? Well, let, let's think about it in a finance sense first, because this is a way to really put into hard, concrete measures how we would traditionally think of discount rate. Why do we traditionally think in most endeavors, especially in the financial markets, that having a dollar today is worth more than having a dollar in the future? It's not just like inflation or whatever you may say. Oh, the dollar is going to eat away at the dollar's value. It's not that. What it really is, is you're losing the opportunity to go take and invest that 
money somewhere else. Now, if it's in a risk-free rate and it's a very low amount that you're gaining back, maybe you could say it should be discounted at 1%, 2% or whatever's going on right now in people's uh, savings accounts or T-bills. If you want to say that you could be investing it in the market, then maybe you could say that it is a 6 to 10% percent discount rate that you should have on there. But anyway, that's how you would try to figure out if you're going to borrow money for today, get it back in the future, how much you should be, how much of a discount should be on that money. So in other words, how much more you should have to pay in future value versus present value. That's how you figure it out. It's a little bit more fuzzy when we're talking about the NFL draft, because they're not taking these first round picks and investing it in something that will then become worth even more in the future, because even if you said, well, you're investing in a rookie player and that rookie player will be so much better next year. True, but your contract window doesn't start over for that rookie player. That four-year window that you have at that disc, that that smaller value contract, which smaller dollar amount contract, which gives which produces value for you, th- that's not starting over again. You know, it'll be four years starting out a year in the future versus four years starting out now. So it can't be looked at in that in that same exact way. So why would there be a discount? Well, let's address the the real reasons for why there why there may be a discount. Um, you could say in some sense there's maybe this is like the NFT uh, uh, type of argument for what a discount why there's a discount and that is because there is a dis- because that's how they're priced. So in the same way that. Maybe your favorite uh, NFT spokesperson, um, whether it's, uh, you know, I guess Tom Brady's probably gotten in on this stuff here when it comes to NFTs and when it's come to crypto and all that stuff. You could say, well, it's worth something because people are willing to pay something for it. So in other words, we have a very established track record of teams being willing to give up more for picks now versus what they would get in the future. The seminal loser's curse study Loser's curse. Loser's curse study that came through, um, I don't know, it came through uh, more than a decade ago initially, and then it's been updated since then by Cade Massey and Richard Thaler, a couple of economists. They looked at valuing these different draft picks, and one part of the thing that they looked at was the trade charts and what future picks are worth, and they came out to a 174% discount rate on picks at that time. So I think teams have gotten a little bit smarter since then, but if you think about it in the analogy where we're saying you could have yet a dollar today and you could invest it and get a dollar 10 in the future. And that's what the discount rate, the 10% discount rate would be based upon in this analogy. You'd be saying that having a draft pick in the first round, let's say today versus having a draft pick in the first round next year would be like a dollar turning into $2 and 74 cents in the future because of that, because of getting that earlier a year before. Now, obviously that's an absurd amount. What is also built into that though, and I think this is where it becomes important to these discussions about value and trading up and something I've become more sensitive to is whether or not you're getting a quarterback. Because if that's the case, then I do believe there is a definitive value proposition for giving away future draft picks where you don't know where you're going to be drafting. You don't know what the quarterback class is going to look like. You don't know if there are going to be any who you even like in the first place. And if there is one that you like, you'll probably have to trade up for him. 
So you're going to have to give up more value in the future. Therefore, there is a case of taking that extremely valuable quarterback pick and trading up for it and giving up more in the future. And a lot of these trades are based upon trading up for a quarterback. We even have in our trade calculations, our trade value calculations, we have a simple binary, you know, uh, marker as to whether or not these picks are going to be used to draft a quarterback because that becomes highly important in deciding the value on that. Um, this trade, if we're looking at it, I don't think it's a quarterback trade, but I'll return more to that when we get into the Saints, Saints rationale. Okay, so beyond the kind of NFT argument, right, again, it's valuable because it's valuable. What are the other reasons? Well, you could generously, if you want to be generous about this, you could assume that somehow decision makers may know that this class will be better than the next year's class or can estimate that in some way. Or that in another way, if you're in a window to compete in the immediate future, in the next year or two, because you're assuming you're going to have that player on your roster here in, the, in, the, in this year, and then next year they'll be entering their second season where they normally take a leap forward and you'll have them that much sooner. If you know you have this compressed sort of window, and then you're going to have to be going through a rebuild and other stuff potentially a few years down the road, yeah, then you can build in a little bit more value to having that pick now versus the future. If you're in the bubble making the playoffs, or if you're trying to get an incremental gain over other playoff teams to give you a better chance of making it to the Super Bowl. Those, I think, are credible and reasonable ideas, but I don't think those those estimates of a rational discount are enough to enter into more than, let's say, a 10, 20, maybe 30% discount, let alone the 174% discount that Massey and Thaler found. And when I calculated the the discount rate of this trade, it's more like between 70 and 60% by by how I would look at it. So it's, it's, it's down quite a bit from Massey and Thaler, but still, I, I don't think you can get that high. I don't think you can get as high as saying making this trade today with this dollar today is going to produce what would be a dollar 70 in value a year from now. I, I just, that's really hard. Those, those things are, are hard enough to get there in and of itself, but those are real rational reasons that I would believe that you should put into your analysis when you're trying to figure out how to do these trades. Now, more likely what this, these are really due to a little less, I wouldn't say less rational because there's a rational and there's an incentive component to it, but maybe less valuable for the team is impatience. So and I'm talking about all parties here, not only the GM and the coach who have a, a combination of an impatience factor and a job security factor where they know that very few GMs or coaches stick around for five, six, seven, ten and beyond years, but they know that they know that therefore securing your job today is worth more than putting your better, your team in a better position for the future. But even owners are impatient. Let's face it. It, you know, a year is a long time. Two years is a long time to wait around, especially when you think you have this edge potentially right now. So that's a big thing, just impatience. And then for, for the owner, and then job security when it comes to the GMs and, and, and coaches on top of impatience. 
And another factor is just overconfidence. When you start off in January thinking, I don't know much about this class. You're kind of indifferent to whether you should trade up or not. And then as you go through the cycle of looking at players, just having so many players that you become, you start to fall in love with and quarterbacks a lot of times that you fall in love with in this class, you become overconfident. You're like, wow, I really see these values right here. And you're comparing it to the future, which is just a nebulous thing at this point. You don't know who those players are. You can't really be overconfident in something that you haven't even really studied. Whereas you have your unique view on your special talent for identifying talent. And that's going to be most impactful and useful and applicable immediately on these guys that you're just studying. So that's another thing. Overconfidence in, in addition to impatience is going to have a big, big factor there. And when it comes to this exact trade, what do I think is, is, is moving this? Well, the Saints are notorious for being one player away type of moves for a long time. And initially, I wondered whether or not them getting these two picks now in the middle of the first round was a precursor to trading up to potentially get one of the top quarterbacks. I'm starting to to peel off of that idea a little bit for a few different reasons. Number one, they haven't done it, right? This is not like the plans that we saw for the kind of three-party trade that was announced last year where San Francisco moved up to three, which makes sense also with San Francisco moving up to three because they knew pretty definitively that it was going to be Trevor Lawrence and it was going to be Zach Wilson, so they would be in position to get who they wanted to get there in three. It wasn't that type of move here. There wasn't anything else announced. The Saints are still back there. Yeah, the Saints have ammunition to move up, but would you do all this if you didn't know who you're going to move up for? If it was just, oh, we'll take whoever comes to us with one of these draft picks in the middle rounds, or we assume we're going to have enough to trade up and get whoever we want, maybe around the fifth pick, if we combine these two picks together. Yeah, I don't know. That that seems like that would be poor management on their on their part to do so. Because again, what we saw what San Francisco did last year, uh, what we saw the Jets did in 2018. Now, that was a little bit weirder because they moved up a few spots early in the draft to number three overall. They gave up three second round picks to do so. They traded uh, with the Colts to get that pick. So they didn't know exactly who they were going to get, but they knew that the Browns had the first pick overall. They knew the Giants were refusing to trade, and the Giants had the second pick overall, and were all in on Saquon Barkley. So they knew. I I believe the Jets traded up in 2018 thinking they were going to get Baker Mayfield, thinking that the Browns were either going to take most likely Sam Darnold, but potentially Josh Allen. So I think they moved up thinking they were going to get Baker Mayfield, but... From their perspective, I mean, maybe they weren't that upset that they ended up getting the guy who was presumed to be the number one pick from the 2018 draft instead of the guy who was presumed to be the QB2 from the 2018 draft, who, who they liked. So again, a little bit weirder there. They weren't confident, but they kind of knew what they were going to do. Saints, they don't have that sort of confidence here. So it makes me wonder about the the quarterback probably not being the option here. And again, if you look at what the Saints have done in the past, they, they've never seen a future pick that they haven't wanted to trade away. I mean, one of the most glaring examples I can think of, and I remember, this is again, so let's go back to the 2018 draft, is that 
the Saints traded up. They gave away a future first-round pick. And they gave up a fifth-round pick in that draft from 2018 to move up from 27 to 14. And when that was announced, I remember thinking... And a lot of people were thinking, and this happened a little bit too often, and it was kind of, there was a, lot, a big pall of disappointment in the air as it moved further and further towards the end of the first round, that the thought was, okay, you know, what's, uh, Baker was gone, Sam Darnold was gone, Josh Allen was gone, Josh Rosen had, had gone by then. Now the Saints were stepping up, they were going to get Lamar Jackson. At 14, he was going to be the future of the franchise. But, you know, the the Saints don't really do this future of the franchise thing. They don't really do that. They traded up for Marcus Davenport. Now, giving up a a future first-round pick and a fifth-round pick to move up to get an edge prospect in the middle of the first round, we're not talking about an elite prospect here at all, is pretty nuts. It's a pretty nuts move. But again, the Saints are all about pushing things in for the immediate future. So, What I think the Saints are thinking here, and this is always dangerous when you speculate and try to get in the head of decision makers here, but just based upon, again, the the past that I've talked about here with them is I think they, my guess would be, having had a couple of years around Jameis Winston, I think they like Jameis. I think they think that he performed admirably enough. I think they were five and two with him as a starter last year before he, he got injured. I think they look at him and say, we can win with him. Michael Thomas is going to be back. He didn't have anyone to throw to who was a high-level receiver at all last year. But because of our <clears throat> tight, to say the least, cap situation, we need to replenish talent and go in and attack right now because we've wet ourselves to... Michael Thomas with a restructure where there's no way we're getting rid of him in the next couple of years. We're tied to a lot of players on this roster. That was a good roster last year, but we were not able to improve it in free agency. We lost Armstead in free agency. We lost Marcus Williams in free agency because the cap is not a lever we can really pull at this point to bring in talent. We can pull some levers to get some cap room to bring, you know, to give pay Jameis a little bit more money to have a little bit of cap room now, but not a ton that we can bring in talent. So the other lever that we can pull, wanting to make an immediate play, wanting to look at the next two-year window with Jameis, who we think we can win with as long as Dennis Allen has that defense playing at a high level like they're playing now. What we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna pull the draft lever. And we like the prospects that we see in the middle of the first round, who will probably be available in the middle of the first round. So what do we need to build now? I don't know. Maybe they need another edge player. Maybe they need another someone else in the secondary. Maybe they feel like they're, they can draft a tackle. I think they are going to be some tackles who people like, who may still be available at that sort of range to make up for the loss of Armstead. But we're thinking we're going to get a couple of quality pieces here to build into this team. And when you combine that with the return of Michael Thomas, with Jameis having another year in the system, maybe opening up a little bit there more, we think being a little bit healthier this year that we can compete in an NFC that is down 
And in a division that outside of, you know, the Bucks now with Tom Brady coming back, but the division that has the Panthers and the Falcons, that we could probably get to the playoffs and get enough wins to get in this year after coming so close last year with so many things going wrong. That's what I believe the Saints are saying inside of their headquarters right now when they're making this plan. Do I believe that plan? Eh, I like Jameis. I do like Jameis. I think Jameis might, if you put him and, you know, other quarterbacks that people don't seem to want, like Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield, if you're talking about options that are available, uh, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Marcus Mariota, uh, that are out there. I might put Jameis at the top of that list for guys that I would want, honestly. Um, if you build a system around him where he can throw it deep and use those deep balls and how well he's played and try to minimize somewhat what he has to do as far as you know leaning on the run a little bit more. You know, Kamara's another guy, right, that they're they're tied to for a while. Maybe they're going to get a receiver. Maybe they want a receiver here, a burner to bring in there, to go downfield that James can throw it to. I'm not sure. But I, I think that's their rationale. It'll be interesting for this year. I think looking at an over on the Saints right now, who I believe are at eight wins. Let me look up our friends at DraftKings here to confirm. Um, where are they at? I believe it's eight. So, yeah, maybe maybe they're that could be a way to to play this, right? Is to say, "Oh, you know what? Let's um I don't know why I can't get this to come up here." Um oh, here we go. Team future. No, sorry, sorry. Team Okay. Team special, sorry. I got a whole thing that's all that's all messed up here. Uh, anyway, I'll get to it. I'll, I'll get to it a little bit later, but I believe they're at eight wins. So eight wins, that is looking pretty good to me as far as the Saints are concerned in that division because of how good things are right now for them. So, uh, you know, I'm not totally against it, but again, not something I could do give away that sort of value for the future. Now let's get to the Eagles perspective. And I think the Eagles perspective is really, really interesting here. Probably a little bit more interesting. Actually, you know what? Before I get to Eagles' perspective, let me hit my ad read here for Manscaped. The only, I repeat, the only guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming with Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub-4340. I'm not sure exactly how your package is running the 40. Like, I'm not quite, I don't know. I'm, I, I have to workshop this one a little bit, maybe, and come up with a different tagline there. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure, oh, excuse me, in the season of trimming the roster, I should have a comma in there, Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not important pieces to your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. And ladies out there think that long – the ladies out there think that long nose hair is a major turnoff. God, I'm struggling here. The Weed Whacker Nose and Hair Trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job? April is draft season, but it's also testicular careness, careness, awareness month. Manscaped 
has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick with Manscaped. Okay, thank you for sticking with me as I got through that one. As you can see, I'm a little under the weather, although no no COVID, I believe, according to at-home tests. Uh, okay, Eagles perspective. Different factors in here. As we mentioned, the reason why you may want to bring capital forward till now and give away future picks is this kind of insecurity from a job perspective. Well, I don't think Howie Roseman, at least as of right now, has anything to worry about. He signed a three-year extension this offseason, which goes through 2025. So he's got a little bit of a runway there. This will be his 23rd year with the Eagles. And he was initially promoted to GM. Now there's a little interregnum period there where Chip Kelly was was kind of running things. But anyway, if you go back to, to when it was originally... It was 13 years ago that Rosen moved up to originally to general manager. That's as long as a tenure as as anyone. He just recently won a, I don't want to call it a power struggle, whatever. It's probably a me or him type of situation with Doug Peterson a couple of years ago. He and Jeff Lurie, the head coach, are obviously very, very, the head coach, the owner are very, very tight. So he's as secure as anyone. So for him, trading away picks, you know, even if they have a down year here, they don't make the playoffs. They don't move forward. Jalen Hurts regresses. He's not going to be out of a job this season. So he doesn't have to move hell and high water to get um, everything behind this team maximizing wins in 2022. So that's that's number one. Why not get some value in the main course? Number two is, and I think this is probably a little bit overstated, but you know, a decent amount of salary goes into paying all of these first round picks and combine that with needing to develop all these guys at the same time. It's a little bit of a concentration of risk that you're just going to avoid, period, doing that. Last thing is you're not going all in on on Jalen Hurts. You're going less all in on Jalen Hurts. This would be the year, if there was a great quarterback prospect who you like, this would be the year for them to potentially look for a quarterback if they were not all in on Jalen Hurts. Now, I don't think they are all in on Jalen Hurts, and they probably shouldn't be since he was a mid-late-ish second-round pick who's been okay in his first couple of years, but pr- pretty good. I mean, I, I like the guy a lot. I've been touting him for a while, but you never go in all in on anyone. So because of the fact that they don't like him that much, which they shouldn't, he's not Patrick Mahomes, that this not being the correct year to look at someone, they said, you know what, let's have an extra, you know, now let's have two first round picks next year. We'll have a, another second round pick in the year after more and more ammunition, potentially moving up. If things don't go right with Hertz, move the clock back for additional players that we'll be getting to pair with a different quarterback potentially, or as Hertz continues to grow, there's just a lot of different ways you can play this and have some value there. Um, so it gives you a little bit of a hedge on how good Jalen Hurts is. If Hurts fails, if the team doesn't make the playoffs, all of a sudden they have a good first-round pick, and then they have another first-round pick from the Saints that they can use. And the last rationale on this, and this is the most important part when you're trading for future picks, especially if we're talking about first-round picks, especially if we're talking about against teams that do not have a settled, strong quarterback position 
And I don't think, as much as I like Jameis, it's not settled. It's not strong, I wouldn't say. Is the asymmetric risk-reward for these types of moves? You, your risk when it comes to the final position of this first-round pick, and again, when, when the Saints traded away their first-round pick in 2018 that I mentioned for Marcus Davenport, that ended up being the 30th pick in 2019. So they won that. They won that as far as not falling off doing that. But let's say if your assumption is next year that pick for the Saints is going to be the 16th pick in the NFL draft, right in the middle. If if it ends up instead being a bottom five pick because the Saints are a top five team, which to me is, is pretty unlikely anyway, but even if that's so, the amount of value that you're losing there is much, much less than if you flip it to the other side, the other, the flip side of the coin, if this ends up being a top five pick because the Saints are a bottom five team, the gain there is massive. If you look at the, I'm just going to use the Jimmy Johnson chart as a frame of reference and the point values there. The point value gain going from 16 up to five, having that gain, that's a 700 point gain that you get in value. And this is mostly market value, trade value there. Going from 16 down to a bottom, to, to the to the fifth worst pick in the, in the first round is a 340 point loss. So your gain is more than twice the amount. It's, to, it's, it's asymmetric. Or if you think about it the other way, your potential risk is only half of what your potential gain is. Every time a coin is flipped, sometimes you're going to win, sometimes you're going to lose that, right? But every time you take on that risk, you're likely on average to to gain. So those are again risks that you want to be taking. You want to be taking those, accumulating those as many as you can. Like I said, Roseman's been the GM for 13 years now. It gives you lots of opportunities to take lots of risks. And those are the type of risks that you should always be taking as a GM if you believe your position is secure enough to do so and not have to worry about being tossed out the next year. Okay, let's talk a little bit about this particular draft. And I think this also flows into the conversation of this trade. Now, I mentioned that the value that they got here was maybe 70 to 60% as opposed to a traditional value of, you know, 150% discount rate. Well, I think that has something to do with this draft. Um, it definitely has something to do with teams just becoming smarter generally, but I do think it has something to do with this draft and teams that are drafting early in particular in this draft have to start thinking about their strategy because it's not as simple as you have a top 10 pick, so you get a top 10 talent. If you look in the top 10 right now, the Giants have picks 5 and 7. The Jets have picks 4 and 10. You have other teams, a lot of other teams with multiple picks. But those are really the teams that have two picks in the top 10 here. The Texans are at 4 and 13, so that's kind of close-ish there. But you see all that there. And there's going to be this catch-22 this season, the lack of high-end talent, in my opinion, like a lot of these tackles are going to be going early this, like way earlier than they did 
in the, um, I guess it would be the 2020 draft, where than they did in the 2020 draft, despite the fact that that was a much, that was actually a stronger class, right? There's a potential for guys like Malik Willis to be going very, very early, despite the fact that he's not really that good compared to quarterbacks we've seen in prior drafts. There are some edge players here, whether it's Aiden Hutchinson or Thibodeau or some of these other guys, Draymond Walker, um, who could be going in these first few picks where, you know, they're not like a Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett, Chase Young, even though Chase Young hasn't panned out as much in the NFL. They're not on that level of prospect, just flat out. There's not the high-end talent that you would like to see there. Wide receiver, you got some good wide receivers, but none of these guys are Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith or I mean, maybe even Jalen Waddle. I don't know if Jalen Waddle was that great of a prospect, but he was. He went sixth overall, right? So somebody thought he was. A, he was a special type of prospect. So not having those guys there complicates things a lot because you can you can say a lot of the time, you know what? Just trade back. Just trade back. The high end talent isn't there, so just trade back. But guess what? People trading up, they know the high end talent isn't there too. So. The question for me when it comes to these teams and what they're willing to do, and I think we saw this summit with the Eagles, although from a little bit of a lesser position, not a, not a top 10 pick position, but a lesser position is being willing to take a lower discount rate. In other words, being willing to take less value for those trade ups or for those trade into the future for those being willing to take lower values than what the charts and the and the the values have been in the past have indicated because what you're going to get you don't have to always get the market value okay because the market value is based on a collection of previous years, a collection of different types of players that people are trading up for, whether it's quarterbacks or not, everything else that, that goes into it. So, like, let's, let's also think about this is that it costs a lot more. For the players earlier in, in, in the draft. Okay? That's another very important distinction when we're talking about the amount that they're going to get and the and the quality of prospect that we're going to get. So not only are they not as good of player, but you have to consider how much you're paying them. Again, going back to Loser's Curse. Loser's, Loser's Curse is the uh, Massey Thaler paper on there. What they determined was, and we've done some work with our war measurement, which which you know agrees with it for the most part, is that it's really the end of the first round, beginning of the second round, where you're getting the most what we call surplus value. So yeah, the early picks have the most value, but the surplus value is the value of that player over what the contract is. Because if you look at the values of these contracts, it falls dramatically from the top through the middle of the first round, and then it falls more slowly after that. So because of that, it's going to be much, much harder to get not just a good player, but to get value out of these smaller rookie contracts. I mean, let's look at some of the amounts here. 
we're talking about the total value of the four-year contract, right? The total value of the first pick in the NFL draft is estimated to be $41.5 million. That's over $10 million a year in APY. First overall pick. We go down to the 16th pick, about midway through the round. It's down to $16.4 million. So about $4 million a year. It's gone from over $10 million a year to $4 million a year. Getting a player at 16 versus 1. In this type of draft, where we're talking about Aiden Hutchinson, you're getting potentially at 1. Not a great quarterback prospect who you know is going to give you value above that, you know, a lot of value above that $10 million a year. Are you really going to be getting more value from Aiden Hutchinson and paying him $11 million a year? Then potentially a guy that you could draft at 16 and only pay them $4 million a year? I don't know. It's less of an easy proposition when you don't have the high-end talent. And again, these other picks that we're talking about for these teams have multiple picks in the first round. I mean, the Jets are at 4 and at 10, right? So the two, those two guys, they're going to be paying a combined amount of about $60 million for those eight combined years that they have on there. I mean, not a ton, but again, you know, seven, $8 million a year versus teams that are at the end of the first round. Let's go all the way down to Detroit at the end of the first round, $12 million a year. So about 3 million. But again, look, look at how the, the curve flattens out a lot more. Going from pick one to pick 16, the amount of the contract value gets slashed by more than half Going from 16 to 32, it goes from 16 million to 12 million. So it only goes down a little bit. It only goes down a quarter versus being totally, completely slashed in that first half of the first round. So those are going to be difficult. This could be a difficult draft for got for teams who were concentrated up near the top and in the first round generally because of how much more expensive those are. Again, you get into round two, you know, middle of round two, you're paying a total of $7.7 million. You're paying less than $2 million per season to a guy in the middle of round two. That's a, that's a great value. It's a great value in that, in that sort of range. So without the tie in talent there, you're going to have these teams like the jets, like the giants. It's not that they, they have just like an opportunity to add talent, but they need to hit on these picks in order to make up for the value that they're going to be paying in order to make up for the fact that these are not going to be quarterback picks. These are not going to be huge picks where you can get a lot of value on that. And that's going to make things much, much more difficult for them and much, much less valuable for these picks. So I think you could be really smart in this draft and be willing to trade back. But in order to do that, you're going to have to be willing to accept trades where teams might give you a little side eye for the fact that you didn't get nearly as much value as we've seen on previous draft day trades where like for instance like when the saints were trading up from 27 to 14 and then gave up a first round pick in the future maybe you're not going to get a future first maybe you just get a future second and and a little bit of something else where you would get where you would have gone to first before but just alone moving from four down to you know 14 or something like that or four down to 12 the fact that you're going to be paying 20 million less dollars in for that player over the course of the next four years, that in itself might be an actual value and you're getting some trade compensation to go with it. That's how I would think about this in a year where there isn't a huge amount of 
talent at the top. The question is whether or not these GMs can break the paradigm, can break tradition, can break out of their charts and think about this situation a little more dynamically of what can be done to better their team the most, especially teams that need a lot of players like these guys do, like the Jets and the Giants do. Let's go ahead and try to compile even more, even if the value that you're getting does not match the chart value for what you what you suspect it should be. All right, guys, that's it for me. Again, JJ Zacharyson on Wednesday. It's going to be excellent. We're going to talk through all the different wide receivers and, of course, reference all the different Just Bombs videos that I've watched on there. Go ahead, rate and review the pod on YouTube. Uh, leave comments. I like to get back on those when I see some comments on there. Otherwise, I'll be talking at everyone next week. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, 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 oh,